You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America. The DU Podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, the official performance dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Purina Pro Plan, always advancing. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. I'm your host, John Gordon. I've got a special guest today, and I think one that that people will really enjoy and, and can relate to, because this man, his his life really revolves around the outdoors, but he, uh, it also revolves around great food, and who can't appreciate uh, the combination of the two? Uh, his innovations with wild game and... Uh, you know, farm-to-table cooking are, at this point, legendary in my mind. But, you know, just because I've been fortunate enough to go down there and, and enjoy a lot of his, his food. But uh, anyway, Rick Roster, welcome to the DU Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's all lies. It's all lies. I promise. None of it's true. <laughs> oh, it's true, people. Let me tell you. Uh, Rick is the chef at Spread Oaks Ranch. It's a place that we've been fortunate enough to film both Ducks Unlimited Television and DU Nation and DU Films. With Rick, as a matter of fact, you can go uh, right now to uh, YouTube or the DU website and uh, look for the Chef Rick film that we filmed. What was that, Rick? Twenty twenty? Was that right in the middle of COVID? I believe. I don't know, but it deserves an Oscar. I know that. It was <laughs> <That's> an amazing. <laughs> you know, it was amazing. You're you're missing out if you haven't seen it. I know that. Well, that's it. And uh, and yeah, if you just if you just Google uh, Chef Rick Rosser, it comes right up. Is the one of the first things on the page? I did that yesterday, doing a little research here for this uh, for this podcast. You'll be one percent smarter by watching that. I promise. <laughs> uh, maybe two. I'm gonna give it two percent. Don't don't over deliver. So, Rick, I mean, you've been a chef for what? It's over three decades. Am I correct? Yeah, no, that hurts. But it, <laughs> it hurt this year to be able to say that. My wife pointed that out. I, I, I'm hung up at like I've been in the business 23 years. <laughs> six years ago, you know. <laughs> That's right. So. Yeah, thirty years this year. It's a it's been a a long and joyous and tumultuous journey. I'll tell you that. Well, it's got to be. And we talked about this when we were down there. As a if you choose that path in life to be a chef, right? If you're really going to be great at it, the commitment, the level of commitment to it, to me, is astounding. Because starting out young, what are the hours like, Rick? Just give me an idea of, of what it takes to become an executive chef and, and really push through that grind. You know, I think I think it's just that. It's being able to push through the grind. We're, we're all just cooks and dishwashers at the end. I don't care what you say. You know, we, we dirty a dish and you should be respectful enough to be able to clean the dish. 
being humble. Uh, you know, there's quotes that we're all just emotional, narcissistic dweebs running around the kitchen. And sometimes we are. Uh, but I, I think it's I think the longevity of the chef matters. The, the chefs that come in and go or, you know, they're they're just that they come and go with anything that you want to be good at. You have to stick with it. Uh, you know, the, the the thought process that eight, golly, when I was 19 years old when I started cooking in fine dining. My wife jokes. She said, when we met, I was in culinary school, young chef, and I didn't hunt for six years. So like the first six years of dating my wife and then marrying my wife, she didn't know I hunted. Or, you know, we just didn't hunt because I was working all the time. And then we had kids and got the kids involved in hunting. <laughs> she jokes. She was like, had I known, there would have been a lot more questions involved, you know? <laughs> right. So it, it's it's quite comical. It's the, the hunting has taken over so much. It, it started as, you know, if you don't mind me telling the story. So I think cooking in the wild for me started when I was taking my kids duck hunting because I'm not saying I was poor, but I had two sons. They eat like horses. So I would go duck hunt with them. And then because I was a chef, I always had leftovers from parties. So I could pull out a wok and a, you know, a hot fire real quick over propane. And I could cook eggs, bacon, and I could have a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old fed back in the car asleep driving back to Katie. And I didn't spend any money, and they picked up all my decoys. I really think cooking out in the duck fields started a whole different genre of cooking for me as a as a chef too. If that sounds if that is I mean I think that sounds pretty weird but it it just it's something differently. Right. No, it, it's not. The, you know the 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 duck blind breakfast is really has become a thing. I've hunted in several locations where they've had, you know, some of these giant blinds with full kitchens in there. And, uh, you know, they've got somebody preparing food. That's just a really big part of the hunt. So I think that's really, it's taken a big step forward to the, you know, honey bun and crackers type deal that you, you right. grabbed when you were a kid. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, yeah. it, it's really, it's really come a long way since then. So let's just go back in time a little bit, Rick. And, and we'll talk a little bit about, you know, how you grew up and your background. I know you're from uh, Aggie Land, Bryan, Texas. Am I correct? Absolutely, gig'em. <laughs> That's right. Texas folks are pretty divided between uh, the the hook'em horn and the gig'em people. It's uh, yeah. it, it it's really kind of uh, divided into those schools. Although there's a lot of colleges in Texas, but that seems to be the two dominant ones. But um, I joke, I'm the one in my family that got away. I didn't. I didn't go. I didn't pick either. You know, right? I'm like, ooh, right. I'm out. There's enough of y'all. <laughs> so anyway, you're growing up in Bryant. Uh, you start hunting with your father. How, how did it all come about? You know, we we really we bow hunted and then f bow hunted and then when duck season started, it was we duck hunted on the Trinity River with some friends of ours, and then that's where we started. Really started duck hunting and then. Took time off, really. We, I, I'm not gonna lie. I didn't duck hunt for probably 15 years, and then my oldest started shooting skeet with 4-H competitively. And when we moved to Houston, some guys found out that my son shot skeet, and they were like, "Hey, do you duck hunt?" And I responded with, "Yeah, I duck hunt." And we showed up and started duck hunting probably about 20 years ago when we moved to Houston, like. For real duck hunting, like not showing up and meeting friends, you know, like, hey, we're dedicated. We're buying 25 dozen decoys. We've got mojos. We're completely 
stupid on the whole thing. And then, you know, I, I know your career took a took a big turn. I, you you were, you know, I were basically in charge of the of, of the kitchens in the entire saltgrass steakhouse chain. And anybody who knows Texas and is eating at the saltgrass steakhouses, I mean, it, it's really an experience. Yeah, that that was that was huge and a, and a huge part of my life that helped me understand, you know, just the the scope of of kitchens and things. But you know, John, I'd like to talk about how as a chef, I morphed into cooking. And be just accepting the cooking of wild game. One day I was sitting there talking to a bunch of chefs of, of, you know, who I respected and they had no concept of butchery. Like they couldn't cut up a chicken. They couldn't understand where a sirloin came from, right? Or where a T-bone was running at. And I was just talking to these guys and I was started to think like I can see that in a deer, right? I know how to de-breast a chicken or, you know, take a chicken apart. Because we used to do it with ducks and dove and quail, right? And these are all things. And I realized at that point that I was a better chef because I was a hunter, right? So I I came into culinary school already knowing things that these guys didn't know. And they still don't know later down the road because they're just not part of it. So funny story. I'm talking to these guys. I'm like, hey, would y'all like to, you know, would y'all like to learn how to butcher? And of course, they're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My sons and I go out, shoot wild hogs one night, gut them, skin them, bring them back into one of my kitchens, and we throw a class with these chefs, and they all were able to butcher for the first time. And it was just so crazy at that point to realize that they had never done that. And it was because hunting that I was better as a chef or understanding cuts of meat or how flavors go together. You know, you just start thinking about that when you're in the deer blind or the duck blind or whatever that is. So it even got weird for us being able to be a chef. You have all this access to this food knowledge. And, and I tell you as crazy as it sounds, but the aging of your ducks is huge for me. Now, any species of duck can be eaten and it changes the flavor you know, you would say European style, say the leave it out and do all these. You know, I, I can tell you that as a chef, we take out, you know, we deviscerate, take out the guts and then leave that bird hanging for anywhere from three to nine days. USDA guidelines, I think, is like nine to 12 days. And then we we go from there as a chef it it totally, you know, most people don't have that ability to think about. It's more of like, I'm going to breast it. You know, I, I hate to say it. We're going to add bacon to it. We're going to do something like that. You know, and, and that as a, sh- again, as somebody who deals with food all the time, that just makes me sad. Like, I think we can do better than that for, uh, you know, our six teal that we shoot. It, it hurts my feelings that people are going to make teal poppers. I'm not saying I don't eat them. I'm not saying they're not good. I'm just saying, you know, I, I guess if you're able to maybe harvest enough or not harvest enough, you should think more about that meat than just that. Not that that's bad, but there's more to it. You know, there's a whole new world of understanding wild game and how it eats better. It's a, you know, it's a no brainer. So I, I think that that should answer a good question about, you know, from a chef standpoint. Exactly. And folks, We've got a a, a, a nice uh, DU Nation film coming out shortly where Rick uh, cooks teal confit from the Spread Oaks Kitchens, and I think it's outstanding. Uh, you know, and you you know, it, it's a simple way to do it. That's 
really on another level. Uh, it really does add something different, and, and it doesn't take a lot. You know, it doesn't take a lot of teal. I, I'm lucky enough to be able to work and live on a place that, you know, we, you know, we get to hunt every day of season. You know, we, we, we look at, at life a little differently out here and I'm spoiled rotten. I mean, some days you can smell me. I'm so spoiled out here. So I know my thought process isn't normal, but that teal confit video, it really gets into how you can take something so simple and change it to a higher level because the duck confit is not from around here. It's a French recipe. You know, it's, it's taken and holding things from, from that fat. Exactly. And uh, like I say, folks, you can be able to check that out on DU Nation. We we did a little teal hunt when we were down there as well. Um, always great to uh, to hunt with you, Rick. It's uh, it's always a pleasure. We didn't, uh, you know, it was it was it was Monday, right? I think it was. And uh, you know, <laughs> look, I was not going to say anything, but you brought it up. I brought. I brought cake, all right? That's all that matters. And the, and the, and the folks, I'm going to tell you, the cake was spectacular. And, uh, it really was. It, yeah. uh, the teal, right. yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's tough. It's tough. People don't realize during during the week um, in some areas that the, without any people out there hunting birds, they, they just don't, they don't have to move. So that's what I think we ran into that day. They just, you know, they were just sitting tight, which you just certainly don't blame them after that, that opening weekend where they had been hunting pretty hard. Right. I laugh. You know, my dad, when I was a younger father, used to be like, oh, you got to go hunt. You got to go hunt. And you sit there. And I, I learned hunting with John Gordon on the Monday after teal season. You better put that in your journey. Go to work that day. Just go on and go to work. Don't listen to anybody you know. Your best friend says, hey, we got to hunt Monday. Go to work. Go to work. <laughs> yeah, it, it it makes it tough. It, it, it's just they were just there. You know, everybody been out Saturday, Sunday, and that Monday, I think everybody was in, at home or well, no, they were back at work. That's <laughs> what it was. So it just kept them from out of the fields and the marshes and everything else, and it just they weren't flying. But hey, I had a blast. It was great. Let's talk about something that you've really developed at Spread Oaks, Rick, and that's the notion of micro-local cuisine, where everything that you're preparing it comes right there from the ranch, correct? Right, yeah. You know, again, one of the things we're really blessed at the ranch for is to have an open-ended thought process. Our biggest time here is now, when we have all our friends and guests over. Uh, so we start growing all of our lettuces, planting lettuces in August. And then we continue to plan all of our, it's, it's really cool. You start thinking about food, you know, the food I'm going to eat in March, we plant seed in December, January in our greenhouses, you know, because of, because of the drought this year, we're able to possibly have a bigger garden in the winter this year. Cause we were able to get into it. We didn't have those September rains know that we usually plague us with all right we're out of the garden now from a big volume standpoint so you know somebody told me last year that on a ranch this big to get a lot of work done you have a drought and i tell you what we we got a lot of work done because of the drought this year and the gardens and stuff are overflowing because of it but there's work involved for sure uh that that micro cuisine just really comes from a dedication to committing to the land and when we see things that are growing any time of year, we harvest and then just take back. And we either eat immediately because it's the freshness or we figure out some way to preserve, you know, just like anybody would have. Some of our thought processes go back, you know, like Meemaw or Mama used to make. Maybe your great-great-grandmother made something or grandfather made something like that. 
I think we think about bringing those recipes back because of what the community is in mind. You know, you never, you never really forget those hunts. They're always in your mind. And if we here at Spread Oaks can, can make food that ties with those hunts, I mean, you know, you, you can never be mad around a dinner table that's serving good food. And I, I think we take, we start that at the lodge, and then we move, try and move that out to the duck blinds. So look, always get ducks to come, right? But I can always think about cooking the right food when you get back, and we can talk about the hunt or talk about last season's hunts or the hunts to come. I think that's what the dinner here at Spread Oaks really brings to the the guests, or and, and maybe hopefully they take that to other people. It's all about traditions. Exactly, exactly. And on that note, folks, we're going to take a little break and uh, stay with us. And we'll be right back on the Ducks Unlimited podcast. Stay tuned to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, after these messages. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. My guest today, Chef Rick Rosser from the wonderful Spread Oaks Ranch near Bay City, Texas. And we were just talking about uh, Rick's real development of, of wild game cooking and the micro local cuisine idea where you, you take everything you've got at your disposal at the ranch and turn it into incredible food on the table. I'd also like to add, once you become part of a ranch like this you start meeting friends out there and there's other like-minded people they're not a chef they're just a farmer out there and they're doing something so i like to say that we we do a lot of stuff here but it's the community that i know and whether our farmer that does all of our cotton farming meets a guy that grows lemons or there's a lady in needville that raises goats for popsicles that are amazing and sometimes of the year, she has excess goat's milk, and we get to make cheese from that. You know, it's just being able to know people. Again, it goes back to the community. And you really got to know and talk to people and find out what they do and who they are. And, and I, I don't want to say we capitalize on that, but it's a lifestyle that we can talk, and they say they have extra, and, and we get to do cool things with because we're, we know them. Exactly. And we were, something we were talking about when I was there is is developing contacts for fresh shrimp out of the Gulf. Oh, yeah. That's right there at y'all's fingertips as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. My wife, that, that that's the story of the summer this year is finding the shrimp that sell to blonde-haired ladies that come up with money. <laughs> that was a huge win at Spread O. She's, she's going, oh, now, you need shrimp? I know where to go. I know where to go. I'm going to go talk to Rodrigo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I know it sounds silly, but so I've I've been at the ranch or I've worked for the ranch for a couple years, but only lived on the ranch for like a year. I'm I'm from my wife and I live in Houston. We're from the city. We don't live on a ranch. 
So big deals for us. We're going to the farmer's markets. And here we are now. We roll up to the canals where the guys are unloading the shrimp boats and the cigarettes hanging out of their mouths and the beer cans falling out. And I'm like, I'll take five pounds. You know, and you're elbowing up there from some big guy that might be on probation, you know, but watch out, man. We're up for shrimp here. I want those. I want those. That was huge. Big win. And imagine how different it is. It's just so different when you can be there and I don't, this is the only way. It's the visceral effect of watching the shrimp jump and you're going to get those shrimp. You know, it's like nobody else is getting these. It's, it's a, it's a probably a foodies thing, you know, a, a foodie dream, but that was huge. I'm glad my wife found that for us and that was a hoot. Yeah, that's that's part of the whole Texas Coast experience. The 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 proximity to all that wonderful seafood and and you've got fish as well, you know, from you know from great excess to flounder, spotted sea trout, redfish, all of it is is right there and yeah. uh, at your disposal. So it just as a chef, it's got to be, you know, you're in a cornucopia down there. You know, it's crazy when when guests come in and they're like, "Hey, we really want to cook these fresh redfish." And you have to tell them, hey, no, no, man, we have to, we, we want to stay on this cycle here. And it's not that you don't want to cook them because you want to eat it too, because it's fresh redfish. It's right there. And then you cook it, you know, for, for no reason other than just to gorge yourself on how awesome it is. But yeah, yeah, having, being able to pick and choose what you eat and then see it from the beginning until the time it goes on the plate has, is really an you can't explain and from the food standpoint just the flavor i'm not really good at what i do i don't think i'm really good at meeting people that are really good at growing animals and i just add some salt and pepper like that's all i'm you know it's a secret don't tell anybody you know that anybody can do what i do you know don't listen to that folks i mean uh he he he's he, he's not really telling you the, the the story there it's uh i mean uh, some of the stuff i've had at, at, at spread oaks rick uh that veal that you prepare man not sure how to even describe oh, that. Oh, the Osabuco. Yeah. Yeah, the Osabuco. Our big thing this year, our big win this year is pastrami short ribs. I'm telling you, that is huge. That is amazing. Uh, folks, something else is amazing, and I, and I haven't been around anyone who's been this serious about this particular thing uh, than Rick, is meat aging and what it and, and the flavors and the incredible and the incredible uh charcuterie boards you make rick i can't once again it's hard to describe i mean where did you really come up with the thought that man i'm gonna make my boards special no joke forrest threw a book at me and said build me a smokehouse like that no joke that was like it, the book was off amazon how to build a smokehouse <laughs> it's like 26.95 best right. book ever you know trial by fire right <laughs> don't edit that out that's a for real story man for real story you know so yeah, I mean, when I came when I came to Spread Oaks, I had done some bacon and some hams. You know, and you just really, you know, you don't really. I guess you don't really just do some bacon and some hams. That's it's still a dedication because you're months into that process. And then Forrest and I were talking about it, and he was serious. He was like, "Hey, I, I want a smokehouse." And I was I was looking online. I was like, "All oh, these little bitty ones are fine." He's like, "No, no, no, no. I want a smokehouse." And I now have a 15 by 15 by 20 foot gable 13th century smokehouse from a book that I bought off Amazon for 26.9. You know, well, necessity is the mother of invention, right? It's uh, you know, you're, right. you're tasked with. Yeah, yeah, we need a we need a smokehouse yeah. for real. 
And so, right. you know, that's it. The, uh, you know, I'm no, uh, I'm no half stepper. So if you ask me to do something, I'm all, and, uh, the, really the smokehouse, because we, we were really talking about just old school recipes. And I don't, that, that smokehouse represents Italy. It represents Kentucky. It's just a thought process. And then whatever recipe we decide to do, you know, with, with our charcuterie, it, it's, it's all a, a long-term thought process. You know, most of our stuff is nine months to, we're just eating ham from three years ago. You know, like when pre-COVID, that's what we joke, you know, we're eating pre-COVID hams now around here. That, that's pretty incredible. And so, the level of commitment to that is, and, and the patience it takes to wait three years. You know, for a for a piece of meat to be yeah. to be right, to me is just fascinating. I, I just never even thought about it before. I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna tell you another story real quick. So when I started doing charcuterie at this level, like we're buying 24 pigs, butchering them ourselves, and turning them into charcuterie. Right? That's a huge commitment. That's 48 legs of prosciutto. If you think about it like that, that's 48 pork bellies for bacon. You got to have storage space. You know, that's like shooting four elk, you know, <laughs> you know, or, or three Canadian geese either way, you know, but they're just big fat hogs. So I buy all these specialty pigs from a super awesome pig farmer. And then the world shuts down at COVID and I had butchered these hogs and put them into a curing process which is just a salt, you know, a basic salt curing process for prosciutto or Kentucky hams, right? But they still, you have to, you have to play with them or touch them every couple of days and for sure in three weeks. But the world was shutting down because of COVID. So I had to ask my wife if we could leave our house in Katy and move to the ranch so I could babysit all these charcuterie items that I had processed so I wouldn't like lose not only all that money, but all that product and all that good pig. But that's how, I know it sounds crazy, that might have been how the passion started for charcuterie because, you know, COVID hit and it was right there in front of us. I had to do it because, I mean, it, it's a living organism at that point when you start messing with meats like that that are, you know, weighing or losing fat content and just the water loss on it. It's, it's not something you can walk away from. Like you said, it's, it's a big commitment. Yeah, it is. But the, the the product is is outstanding. Yeah, I mean it just you know, like I said, yours yours are like none I've ever had. It, it just it, that prosciutto man, it's just like razor thin. The flavor it just explodes in in your mouth. It's incredible. Well, I'm not gonna lie to you. I never thought I'd. I get asked a lot about our charcuterie and how I got here, and I have no idea. Maybe I tripped, fell along the way. I, I'm not real sure, but I, I'll, I'll say it again. You know, it all goes back to. The recipe is what it is, but again, you go back to knowing the people that raise or are just passionate about what they do. I don't think you can ever go wrong, you know? That's right. That's right. Let's shift gears once again for a minute because this has become a huge part of your life, and you, I can't imagine that you would have saw this path, uh, you know, even like 10 years ago at all, that, that now that you are so involved in wetlands and waterfowl habitat— and, and that development and creating a special place uh, that's home to ducks and geese. So tell us a bit about how you've really embraced that process, Rick. You know, it's a great question, by the way. Uh, again, being somebody, I, I don't want to say that I'm of the land. That makes me sound 
pioneerish maybe, but like once you realize, let's talk food plots or whatever we plant for any of our animals outside, right? Whether you're planting late season radishes for deer or turnips, or you have duck potatoes, all that stuff kind of rotates as edible for us at certain times too. And again, I know it sounds weird, but you want to eat a good turnip? Go into your food plot at the end of the year before your deer eat it and pull, you know, we joke, we, we plant black eyed peas down here because they grow like wildfire certain times a year for us. And they're a great source of protein. But if I go out and pick black eyed peas before the deer come, then I can put up black eyed peas and my food plots for my deer still grow because I'm nothing compared to a deer when I pick, you know, three, five gallon buckets of black eyed peas. So it's just, you know, once you start doing that and you know, look, I'm not to the point to where I'm going to go in November and get invertebrate and the snails from the duck to saute to put with pasta yet. Like you're in no danger of eating some something weird like that at spread oaks. The thought process that, uh, you know, that food out there and what, what the ducks eat or what the deer eat is really sometimes what we eat too. If you plant enough of it, we all win. Right, right. Man, I'm not gonna lie to you. That was a sound bite. You know that's a sound bite. <laughs> You edit me saying that now, but period, (laughs) mic drop, call me when you want me to sign an autograph. That's great. Put that on a (laughs) t-shirt. Right? (laughs) Hey, did did I show you, uh, because of all our big palatry, you know, the Johnny Cash picture, we, you know, spread oaks, we we really don't care for talatries that much. We've had two and a half years, I think, of Rob, you're doing an amazing job of the talatry, just desecration out here coming through and killing them. And then this year we've pushed them all down and combined them so we can burn pile them. But a big picture of Johnny Cash while he's in Folsom prison with his finger sticking out. And it says, you know, basically it says F tallow trees, spread oaks ranch. That's one of our badass t-shirts this year. I, I got $30 on eBay if you like, you know, <laughs> that's <laughs> badass, that dude. but it, the area you were talking about is that Jennings Lake area. And that's what it, how, how old is that? It's an historic place in, in, in Texas wetlands history that I can I'm gonna I I'm gonna lie to you and then somebody can you know can call me out on it, but here's here's how I know it. And and again, I'm I'm not really good at remembering because sometimes I don't pay attention. It's it's been quoted. I don't pay attention. But I know that that lake has been there since before Texas was Texas. So that body of water has ebbed and flowed, but has always been someplace that ducks have imprinted on. And I didn't really understand that until this year or the end of last year when we started letting water out. And then Jenny's Lake, I mean, again, I, I, I know it also, if you jump into like the 50s, I think the residents of Bay City used to come out here and use it uh, to fish out of because we have like chimneys from fish camps out here, which make a great place to have a party. But uh, this year we got in, think all the tallow trees again had been uh, killed with the chemical. And then we have came in this year and bulldozed over 30 acres that we gained back of uh, lake land up into the, where the ta- or the uh, oak trees are the, the main front. So just think about it. I mean, we, we really gained probably anywhere from, 26 to 35 acres of new shorefront for the ducks this year, just in that one body of water. Man, that, that's uh, outstanding. It, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And again, uh, huge 
out. Rob Sawyer made all that happen, right? We're just stewards of, of picking up after what he's let us do. It's, it's, it's been, and then, you know, you, you have to big, give a big shout out to Forrest Wiley for the whole project. Appreciate the checkbook, you know, <laughs> that's no small thing uh, either, but that's it. You know, those two combined can't be overstated what a guy like Forrest Wiley means to, to wetlands and waterfowl conservation and, and wildlife conservation in general. It's because it's guys like him who put the dollars behind everything that happens at a place like Spread Oaks. And, you know, we're glad as, as, as an organization in Ducks Unlimited to help. And we have helped quite a bit on that property, but it, it takes it takes somebody like him to really have that commitment to, to really see this through and, and, and make it all happen. Yeah, it's, it's the commitment to just doing the right thing at all cost. You know, at, at really the answer is at all cost. What, what's the right thing to do? Right. So we, we're, we're, I know Forrest believes in everything and, and we believe in Forrest. So I, I think it's a great, great relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Anything special on the menu this year, Rick? Anything new you got coming up? Um, so this year, the, the start of big season, since we're, since we're through teal, you know, we knocked off the dust in teal, 16 day run. Uh, big duck season is going to be again. We were just talking about our pastrami short ribs, uh, curing those twelve to fourteen days. We made cedar planks to serve off of, which will be new. Uh, I haven't I haven't made cedar plates in quite a long time. We just heat up that cedar gives that smell. Uh, we're working on uh, organic sauerkraut to go over the pastrami short ribs because you know nothing says I'm a big fat like a 16 <laughs> to 20 ounce, you know, bone in short rib. We're going to put some sauerkraut on top of that. And then the other is the duck confit here. We, we really are going to try and I think my, uh, this is my statement for the year at the end of this duck season, it's going to be a great duck season, no matter what happens. Right. But I have to find a cardiologist <laughs> because at the end of this duck season, I'm going to need a doctor with all the <laughs> duck confit and pastrami short rib. There's no amount of salad it's going to help me this year. Like usually I'm, I really try and stay healthy. You know, I drink a lot of water. I, I do what I can, you know, but this year there's no way I'm making it out. No way. Serious concern that, of heart attack this year at the end. I need some stents. Yeah. yeah put some shunts in, you know, just, just make an appointment <laughs> February right after snipe season. I'm in dog. Like I'm going to need to go in. So yeah, the short ribs are going to be huge, duck confit, and again our desserts. Uh, the salads are going to be fun this year. We again we grow all our own lettuce mixes, so we found some kale varieties that we really like, and we're going to go back to. Uh, we're we're always going to have our Caesar salad that we make, but it because of the speck that goes on it. But we're we really are looking for another like a kale vinegar salad. And I think we found a good mix this year, as long as the weather holds and you know, we don't have too many freezes down here. Let it freeze up north in Canada and don't short stop me in the plains either. Just come on to Texas, you know. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, the the big ducks are there already. I mean we 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 saw, you know, pintails, uh, shovelers. Uh, there, there's already some ducks around uh, for sure down there, and it's it's dry. I know that, but uh, I keep hearing it's going to be a wet winter. I haven't seen any evidence of it yet, though. Looking at the Farmer's Almanac last night, and it says mild and wet and cold up in the middle of the United States. So, again, I hope y'all freeze up there. I'll hold all the ducks down here for you. 
We got passion for the habitat. Praise DU. Come on down to Texas and let's shoot some birds. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying, brother. I know what you're saying. It's, uh, but yeah, you know, we're, I, this is Memphis, though, Rick. You know, we're not exactly in uh, North Dakota here. Hey, look, man, it's all it's all fair until the duck season starts. I'm looking for ducks, boss. I need ducks. I got the itch. I got the itch. <laughs> That's right. And y'all, hey, look, think about it. I mean, it's late September. Y'all will be open within what five weeks, six weeks oh, tops. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're at this point. We're we're opening up. It was teal season. We've shut shut off water so we can roller chop and open up big big areas for the big ducks. It, it'll be here. And I mean, if you really think about it. From our standpoint, it'll be here in three weeks because we've got to start roller chopping, adding more water. Because we're a drought this year, everybody's jumped their timetable up on watering and filling ponds. So, and to have that, again, to have that commitment to the habitat, it's really about water and getting that water on quick so you can get the growth for that habitat. So that's, that's huge. Uh, you know, it's because uh, y- y'all's impoundments are more soil units. And, and we've, as a, as a organization, Ducks Unlimited has had great success with more soil development. And we've helped y'all down there uh, with that stuff. And, and I think it's, it's really, uh, it's kind of an art form to create a great more soil unit. Natural. Like. Yeah, There's that, just so many things going into it. Yeah. That natural grass that's in there. It's crazy. To think that this year, it really, I wrap my head around. It's crazy to think that that dirt already has a seed that you need in it. You just have to bring it out. Right, right. There's there's so many seeds in that soil. Yeah, and I mean, you're constantly fighting, you know, whatever invasive, you know, cispania or want the naiad to grow. So you start growing deeper water, which, you know, pushes water deep, you know, shallower in your in your areas that you get your jungle rice in. It's really cool to think that we kind of boutique you know, we're boutique or bougie about maybe how we grow our food here because we grow it in, we're not a big, you know, we don't turn this over to rice farming. It's not like our water or big, you know, 100 acre impoundments. We're dealing with 100 to 500 acre impoundments that we're growing water or growing habitat in. So we're controlling that water on a smaller scale, but it's still getting that habitat to grow. So, you know, ducks are like an athlete. They eat one thing in November and they eat something completely different in December. And then January, right before they go back, they're looking for those carbs, you know, just like a, just like a big Olympic athlete. They got to fly back up there. And, you know, in our lifetime, I've watched the Texas coast really change quite a bit to where these ducks are so dependent on those mosel units because the rice base is gone. Yeah. They, you know, they're, they're, everything else is, is now is cotton or grain. It's just dirt. And without those most soil developments, they they really, there would not be any any wintering birds in Texas. Yeah, I I know that I'm not old in duck hunting like you guys, right? Like I'm I'm not Methuselah, so to speak, but you know. (laughs) Thanks, Rick. You're welcome. You're old. I'm not. Whatever you want to take that as. You got good looking hair. Mine's gray. That's what I can tell you. But, you know, the, uh, I grew up 20 years ago with my kids in the Katy Prairie, like legit Garwood. For those people that hunt Texas, you know, you know the Walmart distribution center out there out of there. You know, that's where that's what I thought duck hunting was 20 years ago. And to see that now, the geese gone from that area just blows my mind. Like we used to shoot geese there and we were dumb. You know, we like I look back now and go, I don't know how we shot ducks. We were so stupid. You know, we 
we should have done this and that, you know, I mean, golly. But just growing up on that, I, I say growing, you know, 20 years ago, the Katy Prairie was so much more different than it is 15 years later, even. So then the coast, you know, it's mind blowing. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I can't imagine. Uh, well, I, I talked to a lot of the old timers older than you, you know, respectfully, John being, you know, somebody of your age, you know, like Rob's age. Right. Oh, easy there. <laughs> easy. Now you talk to those guys and, I'm pretty like I I'm a visual person, so when they're describing this to me, like I can't imagine that they're like, yeah, I mean, you see all these teal in September, you know, away, you know, I just I can't imagine that. But sure enough, there it is, and you know, you don't, you're not going to call Bubba a liar because he's no liar, you know. It's, so it's it's crazy to think that just within the last fifteen to twenty years, this the change of the migration or or what's coming here because of the loss of rice, you know, and if, if I hate to say, and I don't know if we, you know, that just if drought continues, what the, what the, what they do on water restrictions for, for places like us and rice farmers, you know? Right. Right. I know that the, the lower Colorado river authority has a really big job on their hands because they've, they've had very little water to work with and they're trying to really make everybody happy in that area, but they just can't afford to, to be, Oh, how you say? It? I mean, just they can't be afford to be reckless with the water. Yeah, right? they they've really got to watch what's going on, and it, and it's changed the landscape down there in in a big way. And it's just it just all goes back to the, it. Just it's been a lack of rainfall now for years. Yeah, I had no idea they were counting last year as a drought as well. I, I just heard that the other day. You know, we've been in like a two year drought, and I, I mean that's a a crazy thought process. You know, that's just crazy thought. I guess just that. You know, I, yeah, I, I right. am not. I, yeah, sorry for the pause. I'm I'm not envious decisions that they have to make, but I am very concerned from a business owner and possibly somebody who knows the farmers that do those things as to how you're going to help us help you help them. Power to the people. The revolution will not be televised. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Power to the people, Rick. That's it, brother. That's it. Well, man, this has been fantastic. And, folks, I'd encourage you, if you don't know anything about Spread Oaks Ranch, go to spreadoaksranch.com. Check it out. What an incredible place. I um, mean, the Fort Forest Wiley has done with that property is truly outstanding from a wetlands and waterfowl standpoint, from a just a pure great place to go standpoint. It's really incredible. It's it's really uh, a, an, it's an amazing place. And it's so amazing what we get to do and just doing the right thing out here. Exactly, exactly. Well, Rick, thanks so much for being on the DU Podcast. I will see you again in December. I'll be down back down there. Can't wait. So it won't be too long. Come on, John. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming in hot, brother. I anyway, so anyway, folks, uh, thanks for listening to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast and for supporting wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to the DU Podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, the official performance dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Purina Pro Plan, always advancing. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit ducks.org slash DU Podcast. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. 
Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.